My name is Alex Wilshire, and this is Trenovo Talks. Today, I speak to James Cox, CEO of Trenovo Group and founder of one of our brands, BioTalent. We discuss his story, his views on the current market conditions, what he would prioritize if he was a consultant right now, how Trenovo wins, and his own personal non-negotiables. So James, how are things? Yeah, very good, thank you. Good to be here. Good. Yeah, really looking forward to, uh, well, been looking forward to having you on here for, a, for an awfully long time. Finally managed to uh, find half an hour to uh, to have a chat. Um, so before we get started, it'd be good to sort of th- set the scene a little bit chronologically and uh, for you to tell everyone about your story. Yeah, sure. So I started in recruitment probably about 12 years ago now. Really, really fell out of university, loved sales, always been quite entrepreneurial. So had a few few strange businesses like a tennis racket stringing business in Reading, a sold advertising space, built my own website. And then recruitment was sold to me by a rector wreck of all things as, as effectively something could combine sales flair with with like basically running my own business in, in, in the future. So started in recruitment, didn't know anything about life sciences, worked for Hobson Prior doing life sciences recruitment and quickly progressed up to the ranks. So opened our London office after two years experience. I was top top perm biller for the whole 1,800 person group, five years running, and, and ultimately got to a point where I felt I'd achieved all I could and was a bit bit frustrated with the corporate nature, and very, very KPI heavy, no focus on quality. And got introduced to Ash via Ben. So Ben and I went to school together, uh, worked at Curry's together where our sales <laughs> sales careers start. And, uh, and yeah, basically hit it off, got on well, had the same vision and same values of what we wanted to achieve. Steve, so launched BioTalent back in 2018. And then from there, yeah, scaled BioTalent up. Um, and then succession plan Ash into the group CEO role during Q4 2020 and then took over Jan 2021. Yeah, CEO to this day. Excellent. What did you study at university? I did human geography. So things like economic, yeah, economic geography, migration rather than like rivers, streams. Still had some colouring in, but overall, yeah, more focused on economic and political geography. Excellent. So human geography straight into life sciences recruitment, a natural, a natural progression. Natural progression, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The classic recruitment story. That's great. So it'd be good to just focus a little bit more on on that time at BioTalent, obviously, since starting with business, because the growth was obviously rapid. Would you have to be able to give us some sort of numbers and data around just how quick that growth was and, and how impressive it was? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So when we when we launched by the end of year one, we got to to eight heads. Um, made a small profit year one, which is is, is a great achievement. Obviously, typically like the business plan was set up to to break even, um, but we we outperformed that, and then really grew quickly from there. So last year we achieved just just shy of ten million NFI for for fourth full year of trading, which is is yeah, if you benchmark it compared with industry competitors, it significantly outperforms any of them. Um, and that was built so we got recognition for that so we we got best best startup agency at, at the recruiter international awards um and been recognized obviously wider through yeah becoming part of Genovo group through yeah, fastest growing businesses investing people platinum and best coming to work for uh, three years in a row so there's been a lot of success um and a lot of that has been built off the back of of, of really what i believe in and what the founding members of biotown have all been part of and, and followed through that shared vision around quality of service and specialist is a is a buzzword that i don't necessarily like but thought leadership and genuinely being thought leaders in their space 
for me is so important and that's what we lost at my old business but we I really believe we did have it at the beginning and so when we launched biotalent uh, we were trained by people from the industry so vice president of pharmacovigilance from J&J uh, head of quality and QP from GSK so like some of the top top pharma companies they came into our office they trained our consultants and make sure that our industry knowledge is, is as good as it can be uh, it's something we probably lost a little bit actually more recently, but we are, and Nick's got a, a schedule that's going to be launched and rolled out against Biotown in the next next quarter and uh, to get back to monthly training from people in the industry because it is genuinely so powerful in our sector. So yeah, that's that's really what it was built on is candidate-focused approach, being truly, truly specialist and and having level of industry knowledge that that really our competitors couldn't, couldn't compete with. Excellent. So what were the main sort of differences, would you say, from moving from obviously being the CEO of Biotalent into the group? Good question. So first of all, CEO is a different job than a managing director. So I was far more sales focused. Biotalent was very, very lean. We didn't really do anything marketing. We didn't do any events. We didn't have, we had one job board. We we, we were very, very lean referral, headhunt, candidate, generative based approach. Moving to the group, we open my eyes a lot more about there's different ways to do recruitment that can also be really successful across soda and broadgate we look at soda in particular like the community-led approach really really powerful and i to be honest never come across that before until being part of the group so that was really eye-opening but then actually just trying to join the dots we were for people who were there then you'd, you'd realize you walk into the office and you'd see three different brands three different cultures people mm. would talk differently look differently dress differently Broadgate would be fully suited, booted, ties. Buyer talent would be effectively smart casual, so chino shirts. And then soda would be yeah, basically what it is today, like dress down. Um, and so it's such a different approach. So the the transition was a steep learning curve, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyable, loved it. And and yeah, one that really was trying to merge different standard operating models, different cultures, different different standards, to be completely honest, together into a group. And that was compounded by remote working during COVID as well. So it was it was a it was a lot of work, but it was good fun. Um and, and obviously everyone can see, yeah, hugely successful as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. For the end of uh, what, six, seven months into COVID to uh, to take on the group CEO role was uh yeah, good timing, but as good a time as any, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, I think we in a lot of people wouldn't have seen behind the scenes during COVID is like the the rigor in terms of we, we used to have something called our weekly war room which was basically how do we as a business survive and then as as we, we kind of got through those first three months of COVID is actually how do we take market share how do we grow how do we how do we make sure we are above the rest of the industry and, and, and make sure we come out of COVID stronger and a big part of that was the rigor around pipelining forecasting the sales strategy the structure in the background and, and the setup to work from home and that was really yeah, because before that, I'd had impact with with Broadgate and trained Broadgate Island. Was in different like Broadgate Manchester. So I had like some influence across the group roles before, but COVID kind of accelerated that. So there's lots of things that had already been put in place during COVID that made that transition smoother as well. Yeah, absolutely. So in your 12 years, I'd imagine you've seen quite a few market shifts and trends emerge. What is your view of the market right now? So it's an interesting one because if I look at the market right now it clearly is worse than it was this time last year. Like there's no getting away from that. Every single sector is worse. Um, however, when you then compare it to, if you go back three years today, actually three years today is when we went into lockdown in the UK. That's a stat someone in the office told wow. me today. Yeah. So if you go back before we went into lockdown, so effectively going back four years today, pre-COVID, the market is 30% better than it was pre-COVID. So 
we've almost been insulated by that that bubble that bounced back after COVID where businesses went crazy, digital, really like a tech and digital transformation across a lot of different sectors. So for me, I'd say the market today is, is really a correcting market rather than a poor market. If you look at the talent shortages across all our verticals, all our sectors, we operate in extremely talent short sectors. Mm-hmm. You might see on the news, I've had 10,000 people laid off at, at Meta. Uh, there was another, I think it was 2,200 Indeed today were laid off as well. So all these big tech layoffs. And yes, that does impact some of our markets, but actually that's a correction where business is overhired. And there's so many, what that creates is really little little pockets of innovation, startup businesses that bloom, good people that leave these amazing companies that have got so much experience and have an idea they want to do themselves. That actually the space and opportunity within innovation means that there's there's a huge amount of new businesses that are being formed at the moment. And that creates opportunity for us. But also what we're seeing isn't unique to us. All our competitors, you look, all you need to do is look across LinkedIn, the amount of recruiters that are open to new opportunities, the amount of CVs I get sent on a daily, weekly basis of other recruiters. It is just the market correction. And what we needed this time last year is not what the market needs this time this year. And it's that, that's really, and it's changed. So I, I like to uh, like to think of it as, as evolution rather than change. If we don't evolve, we will become extinct. So we don't want to be a business that is becomes a dodo, basically. We want to become a business that evolves and keeps evolving and growing and is able to be two, three steps ahead of the market rather than two, three steps behind the market and playing catch up. And so, yeah, for me, the market is still resilient, it's still strong. The economic forecast is is getting better. And it's it's about yeah, how how quickly we can pivot and evolve to devolve to to deliver to the needs of today's market, which really is more business development skills. It's harder to make placements, but it doesn't mean that it's impossible to make placements. It doesn't mean that there's not lots of people who are being hugely successful. And we can see that at the moment across our business. There are some people that are having their best ever years. And there's no secret that when you look at the skin of what they're doing, it is very much, yeah, they're, they're ahead of CV targets, head of jobs target, head of interview target, but they're doing the same market as other people at the moment. But it is mm-hmm. because they're focused on what they need to do, smart with their time, making sure their time is impacting their success, basically. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's really nice segue, actually, there, because I'm really keen to find out if you were a consultant, what would you prioritize in terms of activity based on the current market conditions? It's a, for me, this would be if I was a consultant in any market conditions, let alone current market conditions, it all starts with a candidate. Mm. So the, you can look online, you can do whatever you want, looking for leads, looking at company websites. But unless you're speaking to people who are in that industry, finding out information, who do they know who's hiring? What other businesses are they being approached by? What's happening in their current business? You you will not you will be behind. You'll be one, two, three steps, or potentially no steps because you have no information behind what's actually going on. Because if you're speaking to the people on the ground, building relationships, um, I think sometimes we forget that recruitment is all about people relationships. So you could sell as well as you want, but unless you're speaking to someone, you can't sell to them effectively. So if you meet them in person, you're looking in the words of their eyes, you can get that rapport, you can get that buy-in and people buy people. That's so true. So for me, it all starts with candidates. I would look for my top 50 candidates in a really niche vertical that I know is talent short in a very, very small geographic area. And I would look at moving those moving those candidates around. So when I was in my, in my best billing years, so in the UK market, probably going back like four, no, more than four years, six, seven years now. So take inflation onto that. Uh, but I was doing about 650 every year for four years running, whilst running a team still as well. 
And that was, it was all candidate focused. We didn't have LinkedIn. We weren't allowed LinkedIn at my old business. We had no job boards. It was headhunting, referrals, networking, but very, very candidate focused. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't have LinkedIn because LinkedIn's amazing. We definitely should. But the best I had is I moved five QPs, which for those of you who don't know life sciences, they're the people that sign off batches of drugs. Moved one out. When you've moved one out, you've already got the backfill ready, selling the backfill into the manager, the one that you've moved out with a recommendation from the one that you've moved out. I moved five round in a row within a three-month period. It was 100,000 pounds of sales, sales back then. And that's literally just moving five candidates around no jobs, none of them were live advertised jobs, but just taking a really in-demand skill set and moving them between different different clients. And so but you can only do that if you know the candidates and you know exactly what candidate will fit in a different client or within a really small geographic area. So to cut a long story short, although I have just said a long story, so basically to finish a long story, I should say, I would I would start with that. I would start with my 50 candidates and I'd be speaking to them every single day until I've got a really clear picture and I'd be just moving around businesses, creating opportunities for myself. Because businesses will always hire good people that they can't find elsewhere. So if you can give them people that they're struggling to find, even if they're not hiring, they will hire people. So fast forwarding back to Tronovo, um, again, current market conditions notwithstanding, regardless of what market we're in, where does where does Tronovo win? So I think we we win on multiple levels, to be honest. So as a group, we're quite unique that we could, let's say, to to a tech company or to make it even even more relevant to a health tech company, we can provide roles across the full suite of services they're looking for. So we can do cyber, legal, ANF with Broadgate. We can offer them the regulatory specific roles like regulatory affairs, clinical scientists, medical affairs through Biotalent. We can also offer them the tech infrastructure in their data team, software engineering, DevOps through Soda. And that's quite powerful that as a together we can and we should be able to scale quicker when we get the right sort of business on board. Um, I think there's work to do internally for us to make sure we can, can capitalize on that. Don't get me wrong. Um, and then the other area is communities. So I spend quite a lot of my time like going to either networking events, speaking to other CEOs, look, speaking to, to, to biz, like CEOs of end businesses that we're trying to target as well. And at the moment, it's like the general theme, recruitment will go one of two ways. So it will either go completely AI driven, where effectively recruiters are no more. In the verticals and sectors we're in, I don't think that's possible, to be completely honest. Not not, not in the anywhere near the immediate, short, medium, long-term future. Then the other way is community-led, which is everybody can be on LinkedIn. Everybody can access active candidates. But actually, how do you truly get access to candidates that you can't get elsewhere? be it either underrepresented groups, so via people like women in DevOps, so female engineers, 36% of our database in DevOps are female. If you compare that to industry average of 9% of the industry are female, it's taken Lauren and everyone else who's been involved in women DevOps six years to build that database up, but that hasn't happened by accident. Mm. Very, very, very hard for a competitor to go and copy that because to do that, they have to spend six years or do more events, relevant events, with good clients, ultimately, that are building that brand, that reputation. And that's so powerful because if we're speaking to a client, we have access to over 600,000 people in our communities. And those people have been built up, generated over, depending on which which business you look at, from nine years to five years. That's very hard for a competitor to, to compete with because we've been doing it from day one. And those candidates, are, they know our brands, they're loyal. Some of them aren't anywhere else other than in our database or other than our community groups on Meetup. And so that's a massive, that is a, a true USP. A lot of people say USP, but that is a genuine USP, which I think yeah, we can do more to make it clear why it's USP and why 
working with Chernova or working with any of the brands gives you access to this talent group. But being able to explain and frame ourselves as a community-led recruitment business that gives them access to talent they can't get elsewhere is a massive area we win. Um, and something that I know you're, you're helping me work on and we're working on at the moment to improve the knowledge, communication, how we take that message to market as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think in, you know, obviously recruitment is such a, a notoriously low barriers to entry industry. Um, you know, as, as you've said yourself, you can leave an established agency, set up another company and essentially be competing with them very, very quickly. So having that USP, a genuine USP that isn't just a buzzword that actually has a cogent strategy behind that really does give us a, an excellent competitive advantage. So back to sort of you personally, then what, what would you say are your sort of personal non-negotiables that you hold yourself accountable to? but also that you expected those people around you. I know you, we, both you and I have talked about this a lot. And I think there's, for me, there's, there's a couple of non-negotiables, which yeah, I hold myself accountable to, but I also am a big believer that whatever I hold myself accountable to, I can't ask other people to do things that I wouldn't do myself. And so for me, the personal and for other people, they are one and the same. So they are the same thing. So the first one for me is, is work ethic like whatever job you're in whether it's recruitment whether it's yeah you're you're a lawyer whether you're a graphic designer if you, you've got a task to complete you have to complete that task within the deadline if that means that one night you work till 11 so be it that's that is the job that's what you're paid to do if it means that one day you're finished by four again so be it that's that's the job you've done you've delivered what you were set out and you've delivered what you aim to do so for me that work ethic and that pride in delivering what you said you're going to deliver on time whether it's on time within budget on time within quality but that that is a non-negotiable um i think the feedback on me was i i sometimes have unrealistically high standards but for me that that's where that stands from is that i wouldn't ask anyone to do anything that i wouldn't expect myself or be able to do myself and the second one is is like being present so either late missing meetings uh, like personally i think it's so rude it's disrespectful it says to someone that you, you really don't care about them there's always going to be the odd thing that you can't avoid um, and that's fine as long as you're telling someone like unfortunately this has happened i cannot make it but if you're just genuinely late what does that say to someone else who you're late for so for me that's that, that's a massive one and then then the third one is taking like two things but basically taking pride even if you're not happy about doing something you've got to do it with pride you've got to put your all into it or else you might as well not do it there's always tasks that people don't enjoy doing there's things that i don't enjoy doing but you've got to you've got to do it with pride and you've got to do it because unless you do the hard tasks you don't enjoy you won't have opportunity to do easy tasks that you do enjoy so for me they're probably the three things that i would i would say so work ethic your pride and really like personal integrity linked to that one as well mm -hmm. um and then timekeeping presenteeism and timekeeping excellent that's great well james thanks ever so much for your time it's been great to speak and really looking forward to uh, to sharing this across the group if anyone does have any questions uh you have more than happy for them to reach out to you directly yeah always always but about this or anything else more than happy to speak to anyone james thank you very much yeah thanks alex as always i really enjoyed speaking to james and i'm grateful for him taking the time to speak to us there was so much useful insight in there and if you were to adopt his candidate first approach to recruitment which is all about getting to know the top 50 candidates within your niche vertical and geographic location and creating opportunities for them from there his non-negotiables of work ethic presence personal integrity and pride then you'll be setting yourselves up for an exceptional success in recruitment at Trinovo, our mission is to build diversity, create inclusion and encourage workplace innovation. And our vision is to be the fastest organically growing and most impactful recruitment business on the planet. 
We want to build teams that are representative for the society we live in and start to address today's workplace representation gaps. We operate across three brands, Trust in Soda, full lifecycle digital recruitment, Broadgate, business protection and enablement recruitment, and Biotalent, full lifecycle life sciences recruitment, as well as our own social enterprise, ex-military careers. We've also established a number of communities that are helping us to help our clients move towards a more inclusive workforce, such as Women in DevOps, Ethnicity Talks, Diversity in Risk and Regs, and My Race in Life Sciences.